Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach your throne of grace as we are greatly in need of you. We thank you for the inspiration that the teens had to sing, songs of praise to your name, songs that touched our heart, and I'm sure touched theirs too. And now, Lord, as we would turn to your word and look at the timeless truth that is therein, we pray, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to shed your light into our hearts that we may see how these old truths apply to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many here, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment, if you know of someone that has either been tricked into something or scammed? Either yourself or someone that you know, tricked, scammed, fallen for some kind of, lured into something. Okay, that's a lot. Um, There are literally, I haven't counted them, I haven't looked for that many, but I'm sure millions of scam stories. Some just, you know, 20 bucks here or there, not a big deal. Others, a lot more serious, like maybe Jill, who was lured into a sexting scam, uh, a rig that she was lured into by someone that she was drawn into trust and made herself vulnerable and now lives with the fear of what that other person is going to do with those images. And that's a very real fear. Or what about Jill that uh, responded to an online job offer that looked really promising, something lucrative, and was enticed and got caught in a human trafficking rig. And now she, with a sense of shame, of course, and pain, is a teen porn star and prostitute. Or what about Marcus, who was defrauded in an online, no, in a telephone scam in which his online Facebook information was used to help the scammers get information from him to sound more legitimate. And now he's out thousands of dollars. The names and the details are fictitious in my examples that I just provided, but the stories are very real. And there are people that are hurting because they were somehow deceived. When I heard the news that I was going to be having this message tonight, uh, it wasn't long after that, within maybe an hour or two, the Lord had immediately given me an inspiration of what message to preach. And I'm excited to be here to preach it because it addresses this very aspect of the propensity that we have as humans, to be deceived. Turn to your Bibles. Galatians chapter 6. There are just four verses that we're going to read that give us some very uh, profound, I think, simple yet profound biblical principles about certain kinds of deception. Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 7. Before I begin reading, as I just think about those that have been scammed, probably what is most hurtful about those that have been deceived, scammed, ripped off, defrauded in some way, is the fact that they know that they willingly contributed, participated in being scammed. It's not like they broke into something 
uh, like broke into their car or broke into their house and stole something. I mean, that happens too, of course, and that hurts. But what hurts more is knowing that you have willingly handed over the information that the scammers used, or you handed over the money or the means of payment. That makes it all the more uh, frustrating. How much more frustrating that would be, and sad that would be, if you find yourself deceived in matters pertaining to life and death. That's what the scripture is going to tell us about tonight. Verse 7, Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We'll stop our reading here at verse 10. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Galatians, is very upfront as he prefaces his, this discourse here, short discourse of be not deceived. And so this is obviously that he's describing something that we need to be aware of because, as I said before, we have a propensity to be fooled. We have a propensity to be deceived, that not everything is as it appears. Things are not the same as, if, as when they are offered. And so there are spiritual laws at work here. And I'm going to give you four spiritual laws that are derived from the first two verses. God is not mocked. <clears throat> I'm gonna, going to describe uh, these words slightly differently here. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And so the first spiritual law or uh, principle that I'm going to draw from this verse is that there is a harvest based on what you plant. The analogy of planting and harvesting, I'm sure you've heard about it before, is the concept we make decisions in life. And each decision, more so the major ones, I'm not talking about you know, every one of the 35,000 decisions or so that we've heard about before, but in, in, in general, fairly significant decisions, but daily decisions nonetheless, is like planting a seed. And that seed is going to grow. And it will grow into something. And so this aspect of be not deceived is sort of like, well, how can one be deceived in planting and harvesting? That is just so obviously obvious that whatever you're going to plant, those of, that you have done gardening, you plant a corn seed, you're not going to expect tomatoes. That's just very obvious. How could someone possibly be deceived with that? But yet, you can be because there are some uh, principles at work here that might not be immediately obvious. <clears throat> you will always harvest what you plant. This is something that is certain. It cannot be avoided. In fact, those that try to avoid it, in a sense, are mocking the justice of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, God will not be mocked. It will take place. Deceived means to be tricked, 
to be misled, to think that something different is going to happen than actual reality. And there's the enemy of your souls, is the mastermind of deception. Your brain. Most of you, I think, were here last year, a year ago on Thursday night. I'm going to ask you to go back into your memories about something that you may remember, maybe not right now, but as I begin to describe it to you, hopefully it will trigger those memories. Brother Ed Yon had the message a year ago, Thursday night, and he talked about the teen brain. And one thing in particular that I want to recall about what he taught you, which I hope you remembered, and if you didn't, it will be reminded, and for those that you do remember, it will be reinforced, is that there's something particular about your brain at this stage right now. Our brain is in constant development up until mid-20s or something like that, then it's fully developed. It doesn't mean that uh, by, in your mid-20s you're not going to learn anything anymore, but it just has to do with the physiological, biological development of your brain. I am told, I'm not an expert, I'm just going by what Brother Ed had said, basing what I'm saying here on his presentation, and I trust it to be true. I don't believe he was misleading us. Uh, but it doesn't all develop at the same rate. So there are certain things in your brain, you may recall, he talked about the pleasure center of your brain. There was a technical name for it, I can't recall what it is. Um, in other places, it, uh, other research, it might be considered the, the reward circuit. It's something that flows into your brain. He talked about dopamine being released when you get excited about something or anticipate something that's going to give you pleasure. There's the flow of dopamine into the uh, pleasure center of the brain, deep in the center of the brain, something like that. And it's what makes you feel good. This part of your brain is quite well developed right now. There's another area of your brain that is not as well developed. And it's right at the front here, the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part where you make decisions. That's the part where you discern and evaluate situations. And so in a sense, this um, unequal development as you may call it, um, puts you at a disadvantage at your point in life right now. And that is, is when you make decisions, you will tend to be biased towards making decisions that give you pleasure and that are based on your emotions. Because the rational evaluating part of your brain is still under development and not yet at full maturity. And this is precisely why you are, at this stage of life, more vulnerable than to being deceived by things that give you pleasure and things that appeal to your emotions. And so, you do well to give heed to these biblical principles that I'm going to talk about right now. <clears throat> and one of those uh, principles, then, of course, is it's important to follow the advice, counsel of your parents, pastors, mentors. Because they're at a stage in life where their brain is more developed in those areas that will help you be discerning and to avoid deception. And so it's important for you to not alienate yourself from those kinds of relationships because that makes you all the more vulnerable to being deceived. So, Principle number one is, there will be a harvest. It is certain. The decisions that you make 
today and yesterday and tomorrow will bring about some kind of result, some kind of consequence, whether it's good or whether it's bad, and it will not be avoided. The Bible says so. Principle number two is that we harvest only the kinds of things that we plant. Pretty obvious, right? Whatever a man sows, this and this only. That's what this means here when we read, um, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You will always harvest what you will plant. You will only harvest the kinds of things that you plant. And so, as obvious as that is with um, farming or gardening, let's think of it in terms of spiritual life. As he says in verse 8, those, and I'm going to somewhat paraphrase this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature. That's carnal, right? Soweth to the flesh. That's what that means. To satisfy your own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. That's reaping corruption from sowing to the flesh. That's what that means. So what does that look like? If the decisions that you are making today are pursuing sin, the pleasures of sin for a season, are a reflection of a rejection of God, a rejection of parental guidance and authority, respect and honor for the godly people that God has put in your life, you can expect, by the nature of these laws, that you will harvest death and destruction. It's simple as that, right? Planting corn will give you corn seeds. You plant sin, you will reap a harvest of sinful results. You cannot expect to make daily decisions of rejecting God and following after pleasure and following after sin and then somehow end up in heaven. Impossible. And yet, is it possible that some of you are actually somewhat living like that? Oh yeah, I want to get to heaven someday. But the decisions you're making today and the lifestyle choices, the habit-forming choices that you're making today are totally out of line with that. Do not be deceived. Are you actually living in a state of deception that somehow I'm going to end up going to heaven, but that's not connected to what I'm doing right now? Do not be deceived. So, principle number one, there will be a harvest. It is certain. What you plant, and number two, only that which you plant, that kind of thing that you plant, will produce that kind of a harvest. Don't expect something different. But it gets more than that. There's more involved here. Principle number three. The Bible doesn't specifically speak of that. It touches on that a little bit. Is when you plant something, so you plant a seed, is there instant growth right away? There's time involved for that thing to grow. And for the different kinds of things, there's a different time frame, right? Some things come up in a few days. Um, vegetable garden, you get vegetables within... Uh, a few months, um, but there's a lag here, and so that we harvest in a different season than we plant. Springtime, you're planting. Fall time, you're harvesting. Other things take even a lot longer, right? You plant a, an, an apple seed, you're going to grow an apple tree, but it will be years 
down the road before you will expect any form of fruit. A big time lag between planting that seed and reaping the harvest. The same is true for some of the decisions that you are making on a day-to-day basis today. And this is part of, this is maybe one of the things that might be sort of the most prone to being deceived by this. Because some of you might be thinking, well, I've been living in sin for these many years and it's been great and hasn't been any bad results so far, so what am I talking about? It's this principle here that you're being deceived by is because the harvest is still yet to come. It hasn't developed its full season yet. But by the surety of the word of God, it will come. It's just in a different season. (coughs) Don't be deceived by this time lag. And the things that you're planting as you're moving along, let's say the timeline of life, those things, I'm sure some of them already have brought some results. Uh, probably some consequences that you find undesirable. And maybe part of your deception is, oh, that's an anomaly. You know, you made a, made a oh, that was a, a bad choice, or I just happened to get caught with something. But normally that doesn't happen. Don't perpetuate in your state of deception. So, principle number one, there will be a harvest. That is certain. Number two, you will only harvest that which you plant. And number three, but you will... Re, uh, Harvest, you will reap in a different season. That was principle number three. Now we come to principle number four. When you plant something, let's say we go back to the corn. One kernel of corn is a seed. The harvest that that produces, is that just one kernel of corn? No, it produces several cobs of corn, each having probably, I don't know, 100, 200, 300, several hundred kernels. There's this multiplying effect that you not only will you harvest only what you plant and in a different season, but the harvest produces way more than what you plant. There's this multiplying effect. And that principle, of course, is necessary for us to survive. We, we wouldn't have enough food if the seed that you plant is only something that reproduces itself in the same quantity. We'd never have enough food to survive. But the same concept is true spiritually. And this part is probably among the biggest where you might not be thinking about that. And that's precisely part of the deception. That one little sin that you do yesterday or today has a multiplying effect. And here's down the road that produces a harvest that you wonder How did I get into this mess? All I made was just this, you know, a few little bad decisions. That doesn't warrant this big mess. It's because of this principle number four that you harvest much more than you plant. Think about planting an apple seed. And it grows into a tree after years and years, develops a maturity, and begins developing fruit. Over the lifetime of that one seed growing into an apple tree, it produces thousands of apples, if it's a healthy tree, over the course of the lifetime of that tree. Think about that multiplying effect. That is very true spiritually. I'm going to draw your attention again to that Thursday evening 
message one year ago that Brother Ed Yon had about the brain and connect it with this point. This is not only a one-time cycle. You know, you're, you're, harvest, you're planting early on in your life. This is a season in your life where you are mostly doing planting, um, making decisions that, will, that do set the course of your life and bring about the results that happen typically years down the road. But it's also many repeating cycles because the decisions that you make do bring out some kinds of results, bring out some kind of fruit that you will tend to replant as you repeat those decisions and begin to establish habits and patterns in your life. You might remember the song, you know, um, that the youth choir sang, and I'm, I hope I'm not going to butcher up the words, but something about you will reap what you sow and sow what you reap. There's this repeating cycle, and it's true. Of course, you take some of your harvest, save some of it for seed. If you're a conventional uh, farmer, you will do that, or seed companies will do that, and some of it will become seed again, and there's this reoccurring, repeating cycle. Well, this happens in the development of your brain as your brain is developing and shaped by the very decisions and lifestyle that you live. Your brain uh, process is not merely a, a fixed, predetermined uh, development manner independent of how you live. The way you live and the choices that you make make a difference. And you may remember that Ed had this exercise at the front here um, about a, a team of people or a couple of team of people doing this exercise. And at first it became really cumbersome and difficult. And it took a little while for you to sort of figure out how to work together. And then it worked uh, and then you became more proficient at it. The brain is similar, and that's true when you learn every new task. You're more fumbling about it, and it takes a while for your, your, the coordination of your brain and your hands, and, and, or just your brain to figure out, let's say you're, you're working out a, an intellectual problem, a math problem, or something like that. And he called that process neuroplasticity, where your brain is developed and shaped by the decisions that you make and the actions that you take. And it begins to de uh, develop connections and highways and neural pathways in your brain that get reinforced by the decisions that you make. And that's how habits are formed and developed. And that's how addictions are developed and take place. And when they are deep addictions, it's because, partly because, the pathways in the brain regarding that behavior have been so deeply entrenched that there's literally like a highway representing that cycle of action in your brain, and it's very difficult to undo. That's this concept of harvesting more than we plant and this um, repeating cycle. And so be very careful with the kinds of decisions that you make and the path that that actually puts you on. Four principles. The certainty of a harvest. You will only reap that which you plant. You will reap in a different season than what you plant. And you will reap more than you plant. So what does this look like in real life? So those are the principles. I'm going to give some uh, illustrations. Let's start out with um, a seemingly insignificant, fun decision of having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's fun at first, feels good, it's fun to be around, 
Relationship gets deeper, gets more intimate, gets more serious, starts getting sexual. The neural pathways are being made stronger towards that kind of propensity, that kind of uh, behavior, that kind of desire, that kind of uh, felt need. What happens? It develops a whole host of problems in some cases. It develops into a pregnancy that's unexpected. That is a harvest based on exactly what was planted. Why would someone be surprised if that happens? Even though sometimes it might take a lot of measures to try to prevent that, it doesn't always work. That's not necessarily the worst thing that can happen. But then that leaves another whole host because now a person is in a place that they never thought they would be. And now you start thinking, well, abortion, do I keep the child? Adoption, a whole host of stresses from a harvest that you never imagined. But yet it could be perfectly predicted because you will only harvest that which you plant. You cannot expect something different. Do you start living together? Is the relationship really intact to get married? Guilty feelings from these decisions that may haunt you for the rest of your life. Even if the relationship doesn't result in an unwanted pregnancy, the level of intimacy that takes place there that was not intended by God because he didn't make you that way, but you became enticed into it. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe they've even been here at camp in previous years or last year. They're not here anymore because they're stuck in some sort of consequence like this that has set them on a very different course of life with a very different set of challenges than what really they should be dealing with at this stage in your life. What about those who decide, I'm going to sow my wild oats and I'm going to get converted later on in life sometime. Jesus forgives anything. No matter what you've done, he forgives, right? Right. However, don't be deceived because you're missing something in this equation. Along this timeline, he's, let's say it's a person, me, I've planted all these sinful seeds of pleasure and rebellion and, uh, and so forth, uh, rejection of God, and now I uh, decide, well, I'm going to get married, maybe I had some of this uh, escapade happening in my life, or somehow get sorted out, find someone I want to settle down with, getting married, um, and, and this idea of, well, someday I'll give my life to God, but right now things are just okay, and continue on and continue on, start raising kids without a godly worldview, kids start growing up, and somewhere along the line, realize, maybe I should start thinking about giving my life to the Lord. Come under conviction of sin, repent, become a believer, sometime later on in life. At that point, you're way over here on the timeline. What do you think happens to all those seeds that you planted the 30 years prior to this, or whatever it is? Do you think that God's forgiveness and conversion erases all of those seeds? That they just disappear? No. In his grace and mercy, some of those may disappear, or he may lessen some of those consequences. But those things are still growing. And how many do I know, do you know, maybe that may be in that state of, uh, of life, that are dealing with the results of that harvest? 
that they have those decisions that they have made. Sure, they may have found Christ, but maybe their spouse hasn't. And that's created great tension in the marriage. Or their kids, growing up without a godly worldview, they're not interested in following God. And there's brokenness in the family. Maybe the family has developed such that the teens without that guidance that you grew up with are in a very different course of life. They're far away from God and have no interest. That's the results of the, those are the harvest, the kinds of things you can expect if you live a lifestyle of rejecting God and doing your own thing. There's probably many other examples, but I hope you get the picture of this concept of these four laws in action. However, thankfully, the scripture doesn't stop there. That's not the only message that the scripture has for us tonight, because if it did, then we would, in a sense, be, it's pretty fatalistic. It's like, we've all made bad decisions. We've all screwed up somewhere. Where you say, well, you know, we're just going to wait in dread. Somehow these things are going to haunt us someday. Thankfully, the grace of God is much greater than that. I'm going to bring in a quote that uh, Mark uh, said yesterday morning. Quote of the day. Do you remember? Your life is the result of the choices you've made. If you don't like your life, it's time to start making better choices. Significant part of the equation. There's more to the equation than that, and that is the grace of God and the call of God and the power of God enabling you to repent and to be transformed from the life which you now live. And making better choices is a part of that, but I want to make sure that you don't come away with this message, oh, all there is to following Jesus is just stop making bad choices and start making good choices. Oh, that's pretty simple. It's deeper than that, although it certainly includes that. It includes repentance and by faith trusting in Jesus as the only person that can truly save you and transform you and change, in a sense, the neural pathways that have been developed along sinful lines in your brain and transform that. There will likely be a struggle there in undoing some of that and developing new habits and patterns. And it is only possible to maintain that kind of transformation, to experience that kind of transformation and maintain it for a lifetime only through the power of Jesus Christ. But know this, that by grace, God can change that. He can redeem any situation. And even if we read earlier in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Just giving a glimpse into the picture of the redeeming nature of the grace of God, that even though at this point in your life you have made some bad choices, you have resisted God, you have lived in sin, and that harvest is coming, the best thing you can do is repent today and turn to God at this stage of the game, at this stage of life, rather than perpetuating more bad seeds, which will multiply into more of a bad harvest. The other aspect is, this aspect of planting and harvesting, this is not only related to your life. Let's zoom out a little bit. This is a multi generational thing. And in fact, the place where you are today is partly the result of your parents' choices 
and you are participating in the harvest that your parents have planted that you have somewhat inherited. The grace of God, of course, is also part of that equation. And so you are reaping the benefits and the consequences of the previous generation's planting decisions. And likewise, those that come after you, particularly if you are a parent of children, become a parent of children, this is a multi-generational thing. It's not just about you and your life, but it's about those who come after you as well. That's why it's all the more important to turn to God now in your youth. And this is why, so when we go to the end of verse 8, where it talks about those who live to please the Spirit will harvest life everlasting. That's speaking about a life steeped in trusting God, becoming a follower of Jesus, and uh, repenting from your sins, um, becoming regenerate, converting now in your youth, and serve God, and that He will lead the path on your life. Um, If you are to be married, to marry someone who is a faithful believer, and from that develop a a fruitful Christian life that has this multi-generational impact. You know, I was thinking about some of the songs that you sang that talk about this grace. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. As well as the the phrase in uh, the the song, uh, when love sees you, tell me your story, show me your wounds. I'll show you what love sees. Hand me the pieces broken and bruised. If there is someone here that is experiencing that, you don't need to be afraid of this bad harvest concept because it is multiplied also in the good when we live for Christ. When you repent today and turn to God and principle in verse 9 comes forth here as we talk about, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So let's not get tired of doing what is right. At just the right time, we will harvest a wonderful harvest, a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And that's this other aspect. So we talked about four principles. There's a fifth principle that I'm going to talk about now when it comes to harvesting good things, planting good seeds, seeds, is that you must persist in doing good. This is not a one-time action of doing good. Um, Your song about between the altar and the door one-time decision for Christ that kind of fell apart and didn't materialize into a true regeneration experience. That's not the kind of um, commitment we're talking about here. In order to develop uh, uh, or to inherit a harvest of eternal life, you must persist in following God day after day, day in and day out. But you can be assured based on the promises of the living word of God says, in due season, we shall reap. Guaranteed, on the truth of the word of God, you will harvest a harvest of blessing when you turn to the Lord and live persistently in that way. Another aspect of this is if you feel you are at a point in life today that you have inherited a bad harvest. Life started off really rough for you. And 
lots of things are broken and wrong in your family, in your life, and it's not your fault, you say. Maybe to a large degree it may not be. And you've just inherited this broken mess. The grace of God can rescue you out of that. Think about Joseph and the harvest that he inherited as he was sold into slavery. Not by his poor choice. It was his brother's evil intentions. And yet God turned around a harvest that seemed to be against him in ways that gave great glory to God and also blessing to Joseph. Had its hardships, that's for sure. And I certainly don't want to minimize or gloss over the hardships you may be feeling, whether it may be it's typically a combination of your own choices as well as maybe some of those that you have inherited. The best solution, the only real solution, is to repent and turn to God and apply some of the things that we've just talked about in, that you've sung about in your songs. Hand me the pieces, broken and bruised. I'll show you what love sees. Final phrase for you to think about. Plant a thought, harvest an action. Plant an action, harvest a habit. Plant a habit, harvest, harvest a lifestyle. Plant a lifestyle, harvest a destiny. This is not just a matter of being defrauded out of some money or reputation or identity theft, as painful as those things may be. This is a matter of life and death. Do not be deceived. Amen. Brother Edmund, if you can close in prayer. Almighty God, we are at this point in our lives, in this week. We've heard your truth, and it cannot be changed. The seeds we've sown, we cannot change. The choices that we made before this day cannot be changed. And we know the harvest is coming. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're not just interested in seeing us pay, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to intervene, to take on him the payment. Father, teen choir sung. The teen sermon's been preached. The week is almost over. And so many are still caught in the middle. Father, we pray that today, while it's called today, they could surrender all and that they could find that peace. They could allow that grace to give them hope and your presence to go with them to avoid a lifetime of regret and to redeem them from this harvest and to sow a harvest that will bring blessing, and best of all, a destiny. Father, today, work in the hearts of each one of us. Don't let us be deceived any longer that we can somehow game the system, that somehow we can work our way around an all-knowing God and avoid the harvest. But Lord, rather that we would surrender all, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.